Before we get started with this episode with Brooke Neal, I wanted to talk about just one item of business before we start. This episode features quite a lot around yoga, mindfulness, and meditation. And if you have been a long-time listener of this podcast, you'll know my own experiences with those topics. The Sport Yogi app is the partner of the Raising Your Game podcast, where you can learn to bring yoga, mindfulness, and meditation into your training competition and help manage those stresses physical and mental both on and off the field so whether it's flexibility mindfulness balance focus calming better sleep recovery breathing exercises in the moment we've got you covered with this app the app is the companion that sits alongside the podcast so think of these conversations as the team talks or pep talks that you might get from a coach and the app is the kit bag that you can reach into and use in your own time We've recently launched or relaunched the Sport Yogi Teams offering. So that provides teams that are interested in these methods a way in bringing them to their athletes without any logistical issues that may come with it. You don't have to worry about time, place, because athletes can do it wherever, whenever they want. So if you're a player, a team, or even a coach, and you're interested in all of this, then you can get started by heading over and finding out some more information at sportyogi.com forward slash teams so head over there now and i'll say it again that's sportyogi.com forward slash teams welcome to the raising your game podcast where i help connect well-being and performance as well as speaking to those in the world of sport to share the experiences practice and wisdom that can help you in raising your game both on and off the field Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Lewis Hatchett and in this episode I'm speaking with former New Zealand hockey player Brooke Neal who is also now a yoga teacher, well-being coach and speaker that also specializes in helping young female athletes and helping them navigate the space of sport as they grow up. But in this conversation we talk about a range of topics and mostly around mindfulness, yoga and meditation that play a big part in helping athletes manage their well-being on and off the field and the positive impacts that it can have on their performance. Another topic that we speak about, which was super interesting, was the topic of pain as an athlete, how we play through it, how sometimes we need it, and that overtraining can be such a negative impact on both our well-being and performance. But mostly this conversation was built around that conversation of well-being for for athletes and I loved meeting and chatting with Brooke and I know there are bits in this episode that you're going to love and get lots out of so let's get straight into this episode and I give you Brooke Neal enjoy Brooke, thank you so much for for coming on. Uh, we've had a great little um, catch up. Me, it's been nice to really meet you over these last fifteen minutes and chat about some things. I'm excited for this conversation because I think we can go into um, so many different topics. But uh, no, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I actually want to delve literally straight into it. I know we brushed over it real quick. Your recent post, um, dear Olympian, the letter you wrote. I want to go straight into it because that thing caught fire. Like it went 
viral very quickly. I mean, you have people like Simone Biles who were were mentioning it. Athletes all around the world mentioned it. And the reason being is because of, one, how well it was written. And I think the message just resonated with so many athletes, whether it's spoken or unspoken. Um, I want... Why did you write it? Like, what sort of inspired you to write it? And and almost, where were you when you were writing that message? Um, I was right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, I have my little office, and it's my little safe space that I've created here. And I really um, was struggling with a few things at the time. I sat on that letter for a good probably three weeks, and I. And I knew that I had something that I could possibly share with with even just my closest friends and my team and my hockey team. But then I thought, oh, what the heck, I'll, I'll just put it online and see what sticks. And um, it turns out that, yes, many, many people resonated with it, which was amazing. Um, to paint the picture, I think, yeah, at the time I was speaking a lot to some of my closest friends and my team who had just returned back from the Tokyo Olympics. And they were in the MIQ, the managed isolation facility. So if it's not enough to, you know, go to the Olympics and experience that extreme high, and then everyone has that, that sort of dip after the Olympics, then on top of that, they have to sit in a room by themselves with literally no one else for two weeks um, and then get out of that isolation and come straight back into a, a nationwide lockdown <laughs> for four weeks. So you've literally been at the top of your game and then all of a sudden, um, all of the feelings hit you at once. Um, and I was speaking to, to some friends in the team and trying to just, uh, especially the first time Olympians, because um, they really had no idea what was going on in their mind and in their body. They just didn't prepare themselves for that after, um, that after feeling. And when I first went to the Olympics and came home, I experienced that exact feeling of just such, so I was so confused because no one really top, gave me the memo. I thought that it was just me that I was experiencing this alone. But I also felt a lot of guilt and shame around, um, you know, great myself. Like you've been to the Olympics. Most people never even get there because, you know, you're just so lucky. And so who are you to be feeling all of these awful feelings? And even speaking to my teammates, they were saying, oh, you know, but I'm so grateful. And I said, you can be grateful and absolutely heartbroken at the exact same time like those two emotions can coexist and it doesn't mean that just because you're you know grateful it doesn't mean that you aren't heartbroken that you aren't depressed that you, you know that you aren't experiencing all of those feelings um and so once I got off the phone co conversation with one of them I just decided to write a letter that I wish I received after the Olympics and it was a great way of me processing what I went through because um, I speak a lot about my journey, but I don't necessarily touch specifically on that post-Olympic time. So I guess that's, in a nutshell, what caused me to write it. What did you find came up for you when you were writing it? What sort of emotions had you felt in your experience of it? Because, again, I, I've, I've spoken about how any athlete, 
and even in my own experience of retirement because I kind of view that post-Olympic blues is very similar to an athlete post-retirement um there's that identity crisis there's this understanding like who am I like what is it all for like what like real big life questions that come up mm. um and and I've always said that with an athlete it I can never really say you can you can give people ideas of what it's going to be like but everyone's journey means something slightly different to them because of what they've experienced to get to where they've got even if you're a part of a team sport like you and I even each individual within that team that is essentially a collective it still means something different to every individual so what were some of the emotions that you found coming up as you were writing it and and what you'd felt post olympics yeah i definitely felt a wave of um being put straight back there you know whenever you really dig up old feelings um you know that you still have sort of probably buried a few of the really uncomfortable ones and particularly um a couple that i was that came up as i was writing it was i mentioned in there which it sort of was really hard for me to really put out to the world just about how selfish you feel um in relationships and that's something that I've battled with my whole hockey career is sometimes you just feel like the world has to revolve around you for a bit because it takes a village, like it takes so much effort to get you there. And um, and so when I came back, I just felt um, yeah, really selfish, I guess, and not know not knowing how to process that. But at the same time, I found myself getting really frustrated at my loved ones for not fully understanding what I'd been through. Um, because how could they? They'd never been to the Olympics. And so, um, yeah, I just wouldn't know why, but I didn't want to open up to them. And I and normally I would, but in this situation, I just found myself going inwards and getting really frustrated, but not feeling like I could share it with my closest support network. And it wasn't until sort of many months or probably weeks or months that I slowly started to share some of those feelings. Um, so when I was writing about that, it brought up some stuff. And then I guess also because I retired, um, gosh, May 2020, so last year, I, yeah, I was um, reliving some of those feelings that I had after retirement as well. And, and you're so right. You can prepare as much as you think you need to for, for retirement and you can check all the boxes and like you and I, we, we do our mindfulness and we do our yoga and we think that we have all of our ducks in a row and still <laughs> it mm -hmm. hits you just like a ton of bricks, you know? And so that's, I think, what really shook me with this letter was it's not like you're an Olympian once and you go through this experience and then you never have any of those feelings again. They just keep resurfacing in different ways until you deal with it. Like until you, I mean, I don't know if you're ever going to fully, I mean, it's you're human, you should experience a range of feelings. But yeah, it was especially like, I, I heard from hundreds of Olympians through that post and many of them were, you know, hey, coming, coming to you from um, Samoa, I, I went to the Olympics back in 1990s, whatever. And this has helped me so much. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I had this moment of realization that just because you went to the Olympics 30 years ago, it doesn't mean that you're not still having some of those struggles if you've never dealt with them. 
um yeah anyway <laughs> well yeah i think um that it was so interesting how many people took onto it to that post because of, of obviously the impact that it had and you're right you you never really can get ready for that that feeling and you never really um, you never really let go of those emotions or, or they're never completely buried it was really interesting i was having a um a conversation with one of my parents friends and he's followed he's he's one of my dad's best mates and he is so proud he, he'll openly we were literally playing golf like a few days ago and we're just sitting there after the round and he goes you must be so proud of of what you've done and what you've achieved and he's like i feel proud of you god knows what your dad feels and i remember saying to him yeah but i still feel like this like i still feel sad about a lot of it and i still feel these emotions that come up and they're negative emotions and he is whether it's a generational thing he was like no you can't feel like that you 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 can't you can't have that and i said well so i can look at it two ways i can think that i can't feel like that and bury it and then it manifests itself in many different ways and that's why i'm very fortunate and i feel fortunate through the work that i've done that i haven't gone to things like alcohol like drugs or anything to make me feel that sense of feeling good again it's because i've genuinely sat there with the emotion and then gone okay i feel this that's absolutely fine like this is this is something for me to feel and recognizing that I feel it and just feeling, I think this is where the intu uh, intuition of yoga comes in with the connecting with your body, feeling what that emotion feels like in my body. Like, do I feel the tension mm -hmm. rise up? Do I feel like my heart rate raised? Do I feel whether it's my chest tighten? What is it? And then by recognizing that that emotion makes me feel like that, I can actually do something about it. I can go and do some yoga i can go and breathe i can go and meditate i can do something to release that but it's not about like burying that emotion because if i mm. hadn't have recognized that feeling if i hadn't recognized that emotion that would have built up built up i'd been living in I'd, i would be living in a bubble where i'm pent up tension whether it's physical or mental and then it could manifest itself in a breaking point again whether it's snapping at someone snapping at a friend cutting someone cut me up in traffic and me losing it or a physical injury could be genuinely physically burning out getting ill could be physically injuring myself on a field because I'm still playing sport yeah and that's how I see it like so you have to recognize that emotion you have to recognize it's okay to have that and just by recognizing it feeling it you can do something about it because you've made it real. You haven't pushed it aside and not reckon and then tried to get on with your life carrying this heavy load that you think it could be. Um, yeah, that kind yeah. of went off on 100 one hundred percent agree. Like, I how lucky are we to have found a practice to be able to be in touch with our bodies? Because I don't know about you, but like elite sport has trained us to push through pain and to use our bodies to achieve the greater good of a goal that isn't the best thing necessarily for you and for your body. And so I started playing hockey when I was three years old. I'm 29 and I've just finished, you know. And for me, I have literally 
and it's still ongoing like I I work with a psychologist every fortnight and one of the biggest things that keeps coming up is acknowledging how I feel in my body and giving it what it needs instead of what I think I should do and and it's such it's literally a like a day by day hour by hour work on for me um even though I've done a decade worth of self-development and workshops and you know all everything under the sun because we are just ingrained to just push and to you know like the harder the better the more you train the better you'll be um you know all of those grit like Mm. slogans that are plastered around we're literally measured um success is measured by how hard push and how much we give and so I was very very good at ignoring the warning signs that my body was giving me and to this day even though I'm a qualified yoga teacher I have done all the training I still struggle with just sitting there and asking myself what does my body need right now like what does it need today to feel good and then the voice comes in my head you know oh you should be doing this you didn't do that yesterday um, you know, oh, you haven't done that in a while, you know, what have you been, and so, and so it's just a constant game to keep bringing myself back to that, yeah. I think that I, we, you're so right, we identify with pain as athletes all the time, and I, I weirdly had this sensation, um, ironically, I was out on a run, like, and I was pushing through pain, essentially, um, and then, and then Rich Roll, I, I follow Rich Roll and his podcast and he put up a post this morning actually or it would have been yesterday that he uh, he would stop running and like he's been a runner for ages but the reason he'd stopped running was because he's back and he is getting back into swimming his first love and he said it took him waking up to the pain to realize like he had to do something and I was like that's so true like when I was running I was thinking to myself about sort of how i train and I was thinking about my I was almost thinking about my stretch I was going to do after my run and I was like I've identified my body with being in pain all the time and just whether it's training being in pain and I even remember and and cricket is this very unique sport where you have to the turn if you're playing a four-day game you you are in pain because it's one of the only sports where you you only get under 12 hours to essentially recover and then do all of it again the next day and do it for four days in a row so the analogy you always get is like you're never 100 percent. you're always in pain when you're playing like the medications i used to take in order to play was yeah. there was definitely a period where i was addicted to ibuprofen for sure and then cocodamol and those yeah. those cocktails that i was taking to just get through the day and I find myself like waking up and being now like my body's in pain. Do I need to put it through more pain in order to feel like I'm going somewhere? And now I'm at a place where I can recognize I can, whether it's yoga, I love getting to my mat and going quick body scan. What do I need? What do I want to do? And I'm very close. I don't think I'm there yet. I think I'm very close to being where, I wish I'd potentially wanted to be during my career, which is ultimately figuring out, okay, and like to a granular level where do my quads feel tight? Do my quads feel strained? Okay, probably doing squats today isn't the thing that I need because all I'm going to do is is push that 
lever a little bit harder and then I'm going to regret that in maybe two days time or do I do a light gentle stretch on that and then go focus on whether it's my shoulders whether it's my hamstrings whether it's glutes whatever it is that's where I do the work today and, and start to rejumble the training program and again still trying to break out of that idea that I need to have a program I need to be like that follow this and sometimes that program puts you down a road where it may injure you it may burn you out and yes pro- physical programs have get you to where you want to be with your goals but if you're not in tune with your body if you're not in tune with the your emotions or your your mental side of it there, there's a breaking point whether that's physical or mental at some stage yeah. so it's, I, it's an ongoing journey with that pain and relationship with pain yeah i was just gonna say i my biggest i don't know if you call it a philosophy because i I'm not that, um, I don't even know, I'm not there yet. But my biggest thing that I try and teach to my, my young sportswoman that I, that I um, do programs with and anyone who I speak to is that your performance, in order to consistently perform at a high level and sustain that, right? We're talking about sustainability and consistency versus getting to the top for six months or a year or two years, I'm talking long-term, then you you must prioritize your well-being and whatever that looks like for you. And, and I found that that directly correlated with my performance. So when, when I was going 100%, you know, hockey, that's all that I'm doing um, and I'm, I'm going to, you know be so strict on my diet I'm going to watch the extra videos I'm going to do the extra strength sessions like I might have looked physically like I had the six-pack for the first time but I was a mess emotionally physically spiritually like I was a mess and and then when I came through the other side after Rio decided that there had to be a better way and that I couldn't keep going the way that I was otherwise I I would just probably not yeah, but definitely wouldn't have kept going, then there had to be a better way. And so that's how I found all of these tools to be able to um, make sure that, like we were talking about, like check in with my pain, speak up for myself, yeah. right? Like, holy moly, how much do we just not question anything ever? Mm. Like we just assume that the doctors, the physios, the strength trainers, the coach, that they know what our body needs more than mm. us <laughs> it just it, so so I had to just keep learning to listen to the whispers and those small voices deep 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 inside of me that I'd been shushing for a long time um and yeah it didn't it didn't go down well with some people because I was questioning and I was doing my own research um especially when it came to my body and my injuries like I mean I'm, I'm just like you I've had four years of chronic patellar tendinopathy. I've, mm. I, 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 part of um, like last year, just before I retired, I put my back out again. So like I've, I've lived with injuries forever and, and I, and I definitely learned over time, over almost a decade in the sport that yes, I did have to speak up and I did have to keep putting myself first, which is really hard in the team sport too. I mean, I, I feel you with cricket as well. It's like what's best for the team and what's best with you is sometimes two different things. 
Oh, yeah, I I feel I literally feel your pain with the patella tendinopathy. That was the that was what I was oh. um, taking. The I had both knees had it, and um, that that was what I I was taking like a insane cocktail of drugs to yeah. to help. There were games where I don't remember them too well, and I, and I I have this again sport i think most athletes have this weird spidey sense of like games that you've played you can almost recall all of them and i couldn't recall a couple of these games because of the drugs i was taking for my patella tendinopathy i ended up having surgery i had i had two um ten, tendon scrapes on both knees and, and it went wow. insanely well like i had such good results was really fortunate we had a surgeon that like he's a world leader in patella tendinopathy come over from Sweden and he has like three days in the UK every sort of three months. And I, I was put on his 10 athlete waiting list for or like block that he would do. He did one knee and then a month later he did the other. So I was like completely incapacitated for like six months. But my God, it was, I remember like I couldn't even kneel down. I couldn't even kneel down. Yeah, I remember sitting, sitting for... 10 minutes without wanting my knees being on fire was in yeah. was like not a thing I, I remember traveling to uh i think it was australia to, with it as bad as it was and it was in oh, oh, it was the worst trip place. ever it was awful i know um but the funny thing was like that 12 month rehab process right so i went through all of the squats that you have to do the hack squats the ankle the uh, the heel lifts all, all of the rehab that was prescribed to get me through it but the one thing that I found that had a dramatic impact and it, I was so lucky that I was I had taken up yoga at that time was I feel like my tendons are being pulled by my hip flexors all the time. Like I just, like I had that intuitive feeling like there's yes. something going on here around my hips that is really killing me. And so I spent the next three months and this is no, by no means a prescription for anyone listening that may have teletendinopathy. But it, what I would advise is checking in with other parts of your body because as soon as I started stretching out my hip flexors and my psoas, oh my God, the change was undeniable. <laughs> like that, I could even see my kneecaps like that yeah. were slightly off kilter, like they were realigning. And I knew that was a part yeah. of the process of that rehab. I knew that that part of it was the kneecap needs to realign. But the the change real quick from actually spending some time on another part of my body dramatic impact and i've funny enough just been starting working with a a young lad who has been talking about his knees and i it is patella tendinopathy or patella tendinitis is the the acute version and like straight away jumped on it like right that stretch where else are you tight incredibly tight through his hips what said right you need to just go and work on this go use the app like get get onto your to your to your hips it's gone like he he's strengthened yeah. up his quads he feels sort of really nipped it in the bud early and sort of leading on to that that whole idea of your you almost speak through your pain like I remember when I was in pain physically with even with that injury and other injuries and you mentioned it the through the the letter the the frustration you felt in relationships and I just think that connection again with body and mind once you have it you realize did the, the relationships that you have sometimes you speak through that pain and not thinking about it like that pain takes part of your persona yeah. did you find that did you find that as you were like physically or whether it could even be emotionally in pain like you your yeah. relationships and that frustration you felt with those relationships that's what it was that was speaking oh my gosh I'm so pleased that we've talked about patellar tendinopathy 
and the pain because it, it's different, right? Because it's um, it is overuse, and so technically you can keep going. Whereas a lot of injuries, it's like I mean, you would have experienced with your surgery. You're literally like, okay, here's your timeline, and here's what you need to do. But on a day by day basis, I mean, I can, I'm pretty sure I went three and a half, maybe nearly four years where I had to rate my pain out of 10 every single day. Like that was the first, and that's how we measured how well I was doing and my pain. But you think about that, right? Anyone who has to wake up in the morning and the first thing I do, I'm probably sure that you'd do the same is just tense. It was my right knee. So tense my right quad. And if, and if I felt, you know, like it, it was always there, like always the pain never went away. But that tension, like you could tell if it was going to be a good day or a medium day. It was never a good, oh, sorry, a bad day or a medium day. It was never a good day. Um, and that was my way that I used to wake up, you know, and then I would have to get onto the field and and push through that as well. So I feel you so much. And it's not talked about enough, the mental side of injury. And that's what I coach in my programs too is, you go to the physio, you get your physical stuff, you go to the doctor, you get your meds. And mm. then it's like, how, oh, by the way, how are you? It's it's like, it's not even a, a second thought. And often, and what we've found is that mind-body connection, you can do so much that will heal your physical body just by training your mind, but also by creating like, there's, I mean, there's so many layers we could go so deep with this, but mm. what one of the biggest realizations that I had was I became the athlete with the injured knee. And so when you become, when, when you become, um, you attach to your injury, it, it sounds kind of uh, like, I know that you've probably experienced this too, but for me, um, I was holding onto it for a really, re- like a really long time um and this sounds so so silly when I say it out loud but because everyone likes to feel special (laughs) you know every and I think sometimes we enjoy special treatment do do you find that I mean it sounds ridiculous to admit out aloud because I've come so far since then well no it's 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 um you're you wear it like a badge of honor you wear it like this this I've I've got this injury because of how hard I've worked. And now like, it's like a special like badge or star that I'm going to wear. And I, I went through that exact same thing. Like, Oh, look at Lewis on the physio. I used to think like, look at Lewis on the physio table, strapping his knees up and then he's getting up and he's going out and playing. Like that is what drive and determination that's showing. Like that's awesome because again, you're trying to like identify it, but it wasn't until like, I went through that surgery. I was like, I don't want to feel that ever again. I don't, I just want to do it. And, and it got to actually, to, I went the other way. I actually got to a point where my coaches, I found out that they, they were like, you need to, you need to get onto the massage table. You need to be like looking after your body a little bit more because you're smashing it. So I think I went, started at one side where I wanted to identify with it. And then I tried to get out of that. But at the same time, you can't run away from it as an athlete. You are going to get injured. Like you're genuinely going to find an injury at some stage. It's it's silly to think that everyone can go through their career like bulletproof, yeah. like untouched, and you can't you can't get one. So you have to find a way to manage all 
360 versions of that injury, like all sides of it. And I, I think that's what I found. I identified with it so early. Um, and yeah, it's, it's almost like being a hypochondriac. Like you just, you just like, let me yeah. tell, let me talk. Oh, you've, you've, even this conversation, it's like, oh, you had teleterminopathy and I'm like getting sucked into it. I'm, I'm getting right there. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm identifying with someone that's had it. Like, great. And let's, let's, let's really talk about all our troubles and our, our, um, our trials and tribulations with it. Uh, yeah. No. I know. I, I think it's just human nature to, to relate to someone else who's been through the same pain as you. But uh, I mean, um, when I uh, like, my way out of that pain was alternative medicine, like alternative treatment, which, <clears throat> excuse me, was um, really fascinating because the Eastern and Western medicine are just at polar ends of, you know, high performance yeah. sport. And, and we're not that open to trying things and we're not really suggested to do that. But for me, I don't know um, like how how much you have um, been exposed to like Reiki healing. Mm. Yeah, so I didn't even know what it was and I was quite skeptical. And I had one session just before I left for the Rio Olympics because I had just fell on my knee and you can relate to this again. I fell on it on the concrete. Um, we were playing on an indoor surface and I slipped and it was, I fell directly on it and no pain. Like you cannot describe pain like that when you've been, it's, it's, and so my knees swelled up so much that um, the doctor thought that I'd, I'd fractured my kneecap because it just and I was four days away from getting on the flight to go and compete at the Olympics and oh my I'm getting like sweaty just talking about it it actually <laughs> feel a little bit sick um but I was clutching at straws like I thought that I was not going to be able to get on the flight because I couldn't even put weight on it. I couldn't bend it like 10 degrees and so I I took up this offer of having this this healing session um that works with your energy systems and you know past traumas and all sorts of stuff and I was so desperate I got on that table and um and yeah a lot came out um a mm. lot of past trauma stuff and uh, like I'm not even kidding you like this is and this is a pretty miraculous story but after being four years in pain every single day I got off the plane Plane. and you know how after a flight you know that the next two days are just going to be like hell I got off the flight and I woke up the next morning and I thought I'm going to be in pain and I did the quad test the, the check to see if I'm in pain no pain and wow. I was like oh that's weird it'll come tomorrow it'll come tomorrow and I kept thinking that the whole way through because I didn't want to jinx myself but I I'm not even joking like after four years of pain I I played the Olympics pain-free for the first time and so I came back and that was a big, a big shift for me, realizing that not everything is black and white and there is so much more going on than we ever know. Yeah, I, I wish yeah. Um, yeah. I wish I wish coaches uh, or more coaches and especially strength and conditioning coaches that I'm seeing more of it now would be open to sort of alternative treatments. Um, because when they see them, they protect what they know. Again, what that's like sports science and and things like yoga, even Reiki, meditation. They they can all live in the same space. Like and strength and conditioning and the science 
And I actually think that's where a beautiful blend can be made, which is allowing like modern modern science to mix with like ancient wisdom. And that is where you can find this beautiful blend as an athlete because things like yoga, meditation, they have not died out. They're not fads. They, they have been around for thousands of years because of the impact they've had, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, like that they have got people into good places over a long period of time. So they exist for a reason. And if you can blend that with the science that's coming out, like that's why it's so exciting that you can start to track certain things with very many different wearables that you get and understand that the impact it's having on, whether it's your sleep, your your stress levels, cortisol, heart rate variability, all of these different areas, like you can actually blend them in together. And I think if if coaches, especially the physical coaches, can be open to be like, okay, that's fine. Brooke's going and doing... Reiki, good. Like it's it's only going to help. Like it's what what what's it going to do if it if you go down that yeah. road? It, uh, it's not like it's going to rip you away from the the stuff that you know you need to do in order to stay on the field, and you're going to do anyway. It's just only adding. It's like I think people think that as well with sports psychologists. It are if I go down that road, maybe it's going to take me away from what I'm doing at the moment. No, it's there to help you, and if you do it and it works, like you've great but you got to try it you got to try something um and all of these different levers you can pull are there to push to get you in a better better place um yeah it's such a fascinating way that that pain and how we identify with it i find that just a fascinating thing for athletes and but it's do you do you think sometimes you have to because there's so much you do have to go through that is painful in order to grow to get better to to be better so there has to be a mix Somewhere. Yeah. This is not. I don't think this conversation and this topic we're talking about, it by all means, is run away from pain for sure. Because you have to go through it. Like that's what mm-hmm. I de- That is the difference between an elite athlete and an okay athlete, is the amount you're willing to go through, the amount you are willing to take on, to then get to that next level that everyone else is tr- striving for. But you're you, you actually get to because you can take that much more. So that's why it's so important that you do have. Again, all these different levers that you can pull to manage that workload that you're on. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I, I'm not saying by any, I'm, it's almost the opposite. I think everyone needs to experience pain. And I think the different conversation you can have there is what type of pain, like there's mm. physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, tra- trauma. And so obviously some of those things are just inevitable in life. And then when you add the layer of being an elite athlete, that physical component comes up more often. And so now we know here are a bunch of tools that you can learn so that when you, like you said, get the injury or when you feel like you're burning out, because let's be honest, you're not going to be able to say to your coach every single week, hey, coach, like it's a little bit too much, you know, like Mm. I'm just going to take this one off. It's just not feasible. And nor should it be because you're trying to do what 99% of the population haven't done. So I I get that. But here are a bunch of tools to counteract, you know, and and we talk about the nervous system and all of sport is the sympathetic, right, mm. nervous system. And it is foot on the accelerator. And we have the cortisol and the adrenaline pumping through our body. 
but we don't get often we often don't get taught the the brake pedal the how do we switch from fight or flight to the rest and digest and that's what I teach as well is all of these tools yoga is one of them mindfulness there are hundreds if not thousands that you can just add to your toolbox so that yes you're going to experience pain but here are some things that you can proactively do so that it's not career ending <laughs> mm. and and um that's the bit that really gets me because um we i think are raised in a generation where and my parents were very good at this um but they they let me experience pain and didn't try and cushion me um mm. but i know that the the next generation that they're very much thinking that their job as parents is to protect their, their child at all costs. And I think that mentality there is really hard to then let them go into a world that is inevitably going to be painful and expect them to be able to deal with it. Yeah. I'm not sure if I answered your question, but no, I, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's really, uh, that, that was really well said. Let, let's actually delve into your story a little bit. Let's go into sort of, where hockey became a reality um was it were you someone who played a load of sports growing up um and, and did you have experiences with many different sports or was was hockey always just the one um yeah i i i had an older bro- i have an older brother shay he's two years older than me um and we just grew up in a completely competitive household i think um I think if you were to take a snapshot of any one day, it was it probably me crying because he beat me at something. <laughs> um, so I naturally had that drive of wanting to beat him. <laughs> and so growing up, I decided at three years old, I was going to join his five-year-old team at hockey because I didn't want to wait two years. Um, my parents said that I was very stubborn growing up and just did what I wanted to do. So apparently that started at age three probably earlier and I did all sorts of sports growing up so I grew up in a small town in Whangarei um, in New Zealand and we just got to choose really if we didn't want to do something um, then we weren't forced to do it you know we, we probably had to stick it out for a decent chunk of time just so that we didn't get like really precious mm. but yeah I did all sorts of stuff right up until I left high school so in in the last year of high school I actually almost chose to um, pursue dancing instead of hockey and so that was when I was 18 to give you an idea of like just how much I was doing a range of different things and so was there um, was there like a defining moment for you that that led you to hockey like was it a a success that you'd had in it sometimes athletes have like that that setback where they're told maybe this isn't the thing for you and that ignites a, a curiosity and a fire where people want to do it. Which, which one of those was it for you? Was there a, a moment that you can kind of pinpoint to when it was like, yep, hockey's the thing I'm doing? I think it's really easy in a team sport to choose the team. Like for me, I love being, I love having people around me to push me, to be there, to celebrate with me when we win. But then also to be like, oh, that really sucked. Um, and so I've always been such a big team person. And everything else um, that I was doing, I did a bit of swimming. Um, I did cheerleading. So, But like a lot of them, it wasn't the same feeling as 
when you win with your team and you're just or, or you lose it wasn't just about winning it was just about being with people mm-hmm. um and so i think that that is why i chose it i don't remember a specific moment but i i know that a, like a, a series of selections for me i was not naturally talented or that fit like i was coming last in the fitness tests my nickname was baby giraffe so i literally they said that I looked like a giraffe when I was out there playing hockey um, and I had complaints about me being in the top team at my high school um, so I wasn't like a oh she's gonna be at the Olympics like look at her go this is this young gun I was almost the opposite and when I got selected for the New Zealand like under 16 hockey team it was such a shock that my parents actually told me in the, the speech that they did at my 21st birthday that they thought that they said, look, we love you dearly. They're my biggest supporters. But even they were saying, maybe we should go and like definitely make sure we watch because it could be the only time that she represents New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, they, they loved me. But they, they even could see that it was like... <laughs> Wow, that that um, was there always a goal to get to the Olympics? Did you always strive to to want to to get out there? Um, yeah, I I'm a big fan of dreaming big, and mm. I listened to a lot of self development um, cassette tapes that my mum used to play for herself in the car and Tony Robbins and so I like I I was used to manifesting and all the things right and so um when I was in my final year I wrote down on a piece of paper that in the next 10 years I want to go to the Rio Olympics and at that stage um I hadn't made anything like not even the you know New Zealand under 18s at that stage and so that was a massive far-fetched goal for me. And I think the reason I wrote it down was because I was watching my older brother. Um, he made the New Zealand team when I was still at high school. So he just got out of high school and he was this young gun and he made the, the New Zealand team. And I was looking at him thinking, well, I, I've got a bit of those genes. <laughs> like surely, surely. And, and also just that sibling rivalry, just yeah. wanting to d- like get one up from, from him. And um, and we actually had a really special moment. Both we were both selected for the Rio Olympics team, and we um, we competed together over over there, him for the men's and and so, uh, my parents were both over there watching both of their children play at the Olympics, and it was pretty. It, it was a full circle moment because I know how much um, like he got me there as well. Mm-hmm. Like he without even really saying or doing much just purely by having that direct role model keep going I guess um and so yeah that definitely helped with the whole dreaming of the Olympics but to be honest I only really started to believe it maybe one or maybe one year before the actual Olympics (laughs) because When I got into the black sticks, oh, I just had so many struggles and self-doubt and 
questioning everything and it was only until I really finally started to practice mindfulness and my yoga that I actually realized that I could do it um and that probably came maybe about a year beforehand yeah yeah wow is there something that's an incredible story like you you and your brother and um I didn't actually know that I didn't actually know that Mm. about you that that he'd gone out there and represented with you but is there something that you think makes a good hockey player if there's people that have aspirations to play hockey is there something that is is a attribute that really really whether this is physical mental um because I, I think hockey players are just mad like they're I, even <laughs> as a, like, I, I i play a hardball sport but a hockey ball is almost completely it's like a stone it is i know a cricket ball is hard but like a hockey ball is just another level and you guys are running around you're like whacking each other with sticks i'm like yeah these are absolute psychopaths and um <laughs> so that is you just built built for just pain whether it and almost like sh- knee down like <laughs> knee down like i just think your shins i'd be wearing if i could play hockey i just think i would wear um what the goalkeepers wear out on the field like i would just run yeah. around that um yeah, what, what what do you think makes a, a great hockey player? Oh my goodness, I love that. I was wondering where you go. I think hockey players are mad. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think because I grew up with it, I didn't really know any different. And you get used to it because it's like anything, your hand-eye coordination, it just works. And so the better that you become, literally the less likely you are to have those, I mean, Look, I'm really generalizing here because I've had my teeth knocked down my throat. I've had mm. my nose broken, like I, all the things, you name it. Like I, I, I can't say that we're not slightly mad, um, <laughs> but I would say what makes a good hockey player is um, oh, a couple of things because you look at people who are, you know, at the top of their game. And first of all, they have, I'm getting a bit hockey, geeky, nerdy now, but they have the, um, the vision and the, the wisdom of remembering that uh, hockey is such a tactical game. So you, you just have to, you have to know so much about the opposition, but at the same time, you have to know what you can. Um, we don't often put a lot of emphasis emphasis into that until you get to that top level and then the ability to like read the game and to react in first time to make decisions right and this is like any sport but what I found when I was at the top of my game um I wasn't questioning myself I wasn't thinking for five or six different options in my head and then you know, living in the past about the mistakes that I've made or living in the future, predicting that it's going to muck up. I was just literally in the present moment. And surprise, surprise, how did I cultivate that? It was mindfulness, it was yoga, like all of these tools, that these soft skills that I was learning literally came onto the field with me. And so that's what I try and teach now. It's not necessarily like who's got the best drag flick or who's got the best overhead. If you get to a high pressure situation in any sport, if you can't execute the skill that you're so good at in training, then forget it. So, yeah, I, I definitely put majority of my success 
down to my mentals, my 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 mind. What was in on what was in my mind, what was on my mind, how calm was, how I was able to respond under pressure, and all down to that I did to make that happen. Yeah, that 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 seems to be a recurring theme on this podcast as well. That that skills, yes, you can put all your skills training in and go down that route of thinking that that's the be all and end all. And yeah, you you get to that level through your skills, but at that final crunch moment, like it does come down to how you can execute under pressure. What is it that you're using under pressure? Whether that's a a, a taught technique through psychology, or it could be mindfulness and that mindfulness training and and being present is just this again the skill that i teach is the skill that i wish i'd had more of as a younger player and the more you practice doing it the better you get when it is a crisis moment essentially in that or crunch moment um and you you need it you need it most so you you mentioned about having moments of of self-doubt and and those were coming up and i i think it's silly to think that no athlete has that um was there things that you were able to reframe or tell yourself in those moments of self-doubt or maybe even things that you wish you could tell your younger self of how to do that yeah I had a good solid year of having my confidence start okay I mean I always knew I mean like I always had this inner critic in my head that was telling me that I'm not good enough, that I'm too tall, that I'm too lanky, that I'm not fit enough, like all of those things that we all as humans go through. But I didn't realize that that, that, that it was possible to control those thoughts and, and that voice. I just assumed that that was part of life and that the CD that it was stuck on was just going to continue to go and go and go. And so for the first year into the Black Sticks, I mean, I think it's like anything, when you get put into a pressured situation, whatever you're experiencing is just heightened. Um, So for me, um, along with a personal loss, I was grieving. And I was also trying to perform at this top level with my knee injury. But uh, like when you mix all of those things together, and you have some bad performances, right? Um, and you realize that being in the black sticks, which is your dream come true, actually is really, really hard. And like 90% of the time is not fun. Like, you know, you don't get that memo. That was for me like a, man, I don't deserve to be here. I can't do this. Who am I to be doing this? And that went on for like a full year. So it really took me into some some dark places and I just remember multiple times having just complete meltdowns and the biggest one for me I just couldn't keep going and I and I literally said I, I I'm not gonna go tomorrow I'm, I'm gonna quit um and I can't remember which month it was actually yes I can because the women were uh, my team was at the Commonwealth game they won bronze but I I just felt so far from being in a position where I could win like where I could do something at the Olympics 
Oh, sorry, at the Commonwealth Games that, yeah, I, I just had a complete meltdown. And so that was, it took me to get to that before I decided that I was going to get help and I was going to share that I'm not okay. And also that, you know, and I actually think my brother sent me the link to a podcast and I feel like it might have been Tim Ferriss, but I'd never listened to a podcast before. Um, and it was Andy Putacom, the founder of Headspace. And, and for me, Headspace was the thing. Obviously, everyone's so different, but it was just the gentle nudges along the way. And then that, that app, I started to, to do that every single day. And that self-talk, it just was so much more manageable. Um, and I actually ended up getting, a month later, I ended up getting like MVP of this National Hockey League um, ahead of all the rest of the black sticks who just, you know, come back from the Commonwealth Games. And the coach wow. came up to me and he's like, what are you doing differently? And I said, well, I'm meeting. And he, he gave it a bit of a laugh. And then he said, well, whatever it is, just keep doing it. So, yeah, I guess that's my story of um, how profound the impact was on me, but also like how hard, how bad it sort of got to bring myself to actually do that. <laughs> was how was there something you learned about yourself along the way? What, what did you learn through that experience? Um, that I am thoughts, I think. I think that's you, the biggest um, realisation is that, like, I am not my thoughts, but I'm also not only just a hockey player and that, like, uh, I don't know, I think I learned so many things, but you, you don't just learn them all at once. And it's not like this massive epiphany. It's just like tiny realizations. And it, I think everyone expects this miracle, right? But yeah, I just think it's the daily stuff where I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't understand that before. And now I do. And then you go out and you try it and it works. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just did that. And then I got that. And so you just build on it and you build on it instead of being like, right, I've been meditating for a month and now I can basically do anything because I'm invincible. It just doesn't work like that. And I think that's what people expect. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that expectation, having, having that expectation of what these tools are going to do for you is a really important thing to manage. Um, I, I assumed that sort of the yoga journey or the meditation journey would be something that might get a quick fix. And we're wired at the moment in the world we live in to get that quick fix. We want the hack, the trick thing. But these are processes that now I realize, what am I, six, maybe seven years into doing them, that now I'm reaping the benefits of realizing why I'm doing them and and how agile I can be in both my body and my mind to respond to situations but respond to myself at the same time I can respond to how my body feels on a certain day okay I'm not living in a place of wonder where I'm trying to figure out how do I fix my body today how do, if my if my le left hip is giving me trouble I can do something about it pretty quickly and that's the beauty of having practiced that over time the same thing like if I'm feeling um, caught up in emotion in, in the moment I can take a step back, take that breath because it's it's just speeding up that process of managing it and dealing with that that whether it's physical or, or, or mental stress at any one time. Um, 
what 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 got you into yoga and, and meditation what was the the catalyst for that for me it was an injury i i, I had enough yeah. i just i just couldn't do it was it was it similar for you oh 100% my it was my injury it was my knee and so, something similar to um to you like i didn't know what to do and so i was trying all different types of things and my massage therapist was one of the ones who also helped me realize that my problem might be in my hips. And, and, you know, he really helped me with that. And so, um, I went to yoga, not, I went to yoga thinking that I needed to fix my body, but I didn't realize that when I walked out, I got more out of it for my mind than mm. anything else so i i really think that the life just in this fast pace busy 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 you know train and all of that and then when i got into the yoga studio um like i did my my teacher training through the lady nikki ralston she's my absolute hero um who first that was the first yoga studio i ever walked into and yeah i i'm sure you've had a similar experience Experience where you just realize that, that what you were missing and mm. for me it was yin yoga the slower restorative type because I found how hard it was for me to sit in discomfort and like we talked about that relationship with pain um, but also to when your body slows down and you've got nothing to do it's really confronting and and that was my way of training my thoughts as well um, and so I guess that was the catalyst was the injury and what kept me going back was really just like for my, to nourish myself, not necessarily, it was, was not just for my injury, although I did see the benefits in that as well. That's definitely the first place I send athletes is down yin yoga. And if anyone wants to get into starting some sort of yoga as an athlete, like go down that route to begin with, because that's the one I actually started with first off for the the um the flexibility benefits anyway like that was a this is the one where you can get the biggest gains i did a podcast with a guy called dan van zan who's uh at flexibility.research on instagram and he's a he's a flexibility coach and he is if not the best guy that i've come across who can talk about the 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 ability to to become flexible and we had had a discussion in our podcast about his love for yoga in the sense comes from how it's the only practice you can you can do all of the mobility training that's out there that's being branded up but yoga connects with the body, the mind as well and allows your it teaches you to breathe through the, the the stretches that you're holding and it allows you to have that connection with your your mind at the same time and have that impact of slowing down so for an athlete doing something like vinyasa where it's it's strong it's powerful it's moving you're getting that training whether it's in your running your swimming your 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 mm -hmm. gym work whatever so you're already doing that so there's, there's essentially no need to stress your body or your mind at the same time any further because again that's the thing that we're kind of like we're wired to do whereas yin requires you to sit and hold and build that flexibility but not only that like you said it's uncomfortable most mostly mental i think in the sense that i want to be moving i want to be moving around in this this pose i want to be getting out of it and that's the thing that i caught myself finding was how often am i getting agitated with just trying to be still 
and be calm and focus in on that area of the body and that's where you build that connection that's where you're strengthening that connection with your body and your mind but at the same time you are getting all of that physical benefit that your body genuinely needs so like you said i really like how you use the word nourish you are nourishing both your body and your mind at the same time it's the it's the perfect place for an athlete to start because it's exactly what they need it's exactly what you need you go and go go slow down hold that see where you can get to I completely agree. I think we're on similar wavelengths with a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. So, what is your what is your what is your practice of balance? I like how your your phrase your program's all about balance. Like that's that mm. is exactly what people are, should be looking for and striving for. What does your balance look like for you? Yeah, balance is such a hard word. And I get questioned on this a lot because people are people say, well, I can't exactly have a completely balanced life. It's just impossible. And I definitely agree with that. As an athlete, you're not going to be able to commit fully to your sport to get to the Olympics if that's what you want to do. And at the same time, tick all of the boxes with your business, with your relationships, whatever. But for me, I think, a couple of things when I think about what balance means to me and how I practice it I'm really just um, checking in with a couple of different areas and making sure that I'm and I like to use the metaphor I think I've actually definitely stolen this from um, Jonathan Fields so he talks about having three buckets and one you know one bucket is for well his might be slightly different so I've sort of altered it to suit whatever I relate to. But my, my mind, my body, and my connections. And so, you know, connections is to nature. My connections is to my family. My connections is to myself. So, and then my body and my mind, and we've spoken a lot about those in this podcast. But if I am just really on a weekly, on a daily basis, asking myself, what do I need this week? How is my mind out of 10? Like what's the score that I can give it right now? And then what can I do to fill that bucket if it's really empty? And and going from that, like it, I think it all comes down to habits in my experience and the, the tiny things that you do on a daily basis. We, we think that we need to go on like a 10 day silent retreat or like a, I don't know, an adventure through the, Himalayas to like really find ourselves and find this balance (laughs) but I really think it's like as simple as making sure that your water bottle is full and that you are hydrating like you are doing your mobility and your stretches like you are practicing your gratitude and you're actually just doing it on a daily basis instead of just thinking that it's going to happen one day so just come back to always checking in with what what do I need Um, and then asking myself that question in in the different areas of my life and and not worrying if my buckets are empty because that's life but also knowing that I'm going to have to do more to get back to like what I consider to be thriving Um, yeah so that's how I work it I mean everyone's so different but that's taken me like years of of struggling to figure that out (laughs) yeah i have mentioned it before in previous podcasts you kind of need to go through that struggle to figure it out but the sooner you can go through that struggle figure it out and the earlier you can do it i have no doubt that next period of of an athlete's life can be 
incredible and you've spoken there about and we spoke about it pre-recording about that the practice the actual practical applications of mindfulness meditation yoga like it's these things don't work if you can't put them into practice and into real life scenarios that you're in like you don't have to go on a retreat to practice these things you don't have to be sitting on a cushion in a very candle lit room like like you mentioned about my my account sport yogi where i show people can do these things in different areas and and locations that are relevant to an athlete so it could be a gym it could be on the field like in a changing room that's genuinely places where you can practice these things um and obviously the the ego might get in the way if you don't want to do it in front of people i get that but putting them into real practice is is the actual practice itself that's the that's the benefit that's where it is it's no good thinking i always find it fascinating when people are like i have to do my five my 5 a.m or 6 a.m or 7 a.m meditation like every day i always think like well what if your life or schedule doesn't allow that does that completely break down your entire day like that that's not an adaptable practice that's not an adapt that's not putting it into a, a real life situation you should be able to go okay i wasn't able to do my meditation this morning therefore i'm going to shift it to like a mindful walk this evening when i go and whether it's walk my dogs or go out onto the the hills or go around the street i can move that practice to fit in with what i need to get out of the day because our days can be structured but if you live in that structure and confine yourself to that structure that's not a mindful practice and also thinking like oh i'm going to be mindful for this one part of the day <laughs> this this 10 <laughs> minutes or or even an hour that i'm going to dedicate to my meditation practice at the start that's it i get the i get there is pe- there is a benefit for meditating over a long period of time because that's a skill in itself but especially as an athlete in an, an adaptable world that you live in it's an added layer to being adaptable. It's an added layer to being a skillful athlete and a, a mindfully equipped athlete because all all situations you're going to be in change. All situations on the field, off the field are going to change. And if you can do that in your practice, you're way ahead of the game. I 100% agree. Like in a team sport, I started meditating when meditating wasn't a thing. Like as an athlete, if I was closing my eyes on the bus, it was because I was meditating on the way to the game and people would give me shit because they thought that I was sleeping. Like it, you just, no one talked about it. I didn't share much about what I was doing, but like you find ways to do it, you know, and and near the end of my career, it was quite funny that people, are, the girls on my team were slowly starting to ask me questions about it because they knew I'd been doing it for years but I was doing it on the bus. And then, you know, like when you're on tour with your teammates, you can't exactly, for me, I was, I was sort of a little bit like, oh, if I sit here and close my eyes with my headphones and like, what are they going to think? So there's so many different ways that you, you have just layers that you have to navigate and it's never going to be perfect. Like you're always going to want it to be, you know, in a field with the sun rising and like whatever that's that's the picture that we all paint and also you're always going to sit down and when I started I used to really try so hard and like Mm. that's half the problem right you have to get out of your own way and just let whatever happens happen and some sessions I leave and I think oh like I was my brain was so active 
but like I still did it and you know I might have caught my my mind wandering twice in 10 minutes but those two times that I caught it were just like two reps that I've now got under my belt and I feel so much better sitting like with myself so yeah I would definitely encourage anyone who's listening who has been hearing this word and isn't sure where to start find an app and I'm sure you've got resources as well and Mm. um and just maybe commit to like the tiniest little action that you can and that you can sustain and don't give yourself like ridiculous rules about having to do it at 5am like you said I just encourage you to start and then but also try and create a habit out of it because you actually won't start to see the impacts of it for probably at least a month and that's what turns a lot of people off too so yeah I'm, I'm just really passionate about trying to get people to see and experience the impacts that it could have but that only happens after you've done it like for a sustainable amount of time yeah that's right that the that that place that i'm talking about getting to which is the um the place of being adaptable and getting putting it in your life that wasn't how i started like because i wasn't aware of how to mindfully walk i wasn't aware of how to like mindfully eat i wasn't aware of how to speak well of sort of my emotions or whatever that was out of a structured habitual process and routine of okay if I'm going to I I did it through my yoga practice so because I was like I connect most with the physical even if it's like 10 minutes of of yoga that I'm going to do just in this period I'm going to follow it up with I mean shavasana and yoga is the 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 best place to do it because you're just lying being still like you can start there but even if it might have been just sitting for a moment and doing it then, like just sitting and being still for one minute, like that that was the beginning. But doing that regularly, routinely throughout the day or sorry, every day, that was the way I started and I found that benefit and it kicks on into it being a skill that you have later down the line. Totally agree with, with you there. Um, I'm really conscious of time. Like we've gone, we've gone for ages. This has been an amazing conversation. Oh my goodness! I, I think I think there was one thing I really wanted to actually ask you, um, especially after the Dear Olympian post. You followed it up with a post about the reaction that you'd had, and the thing that struck me in that post that you put out was how much you felt there is work to do with the support. And I've done. Po- previous podcast with uh, Siobhan Marie O'Connor, Olympic swimmer. We didn't actually speak about it in the podcast, but we spoke a lot about it in the preamble, which was around what support she felt was there, whether she felt the support was good enough, and that she felt there was more to be done. So, what do you what what do you feel could be added into the support? Do you think it's it should be focused on after the athletes or is there something that can be done before you even get to that end that you feel is missing? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I've really thought a lot about this because it's all very well to show that there's a problem, but also I think it's so important to offer solutions. And I think everyone has their own opinion on what they think is needed And there's so many layers to elite sport. You've got the government involved. You've got private investors involved. You've got your national sporting organizations. So it depends on what level you want to address the issue, right? 
there's funding, there's all sorts of stuff. Um, and for me, I just keep coming back to this idea that we have to create, and this is what I'm trying to do, this is what my mission is, to create a safe space so that athletes, and particularly for me, young sportswomen, can come to share and to be vulnerable and to know that their struggles are validated, that they are not alone, that they are seen and that they are heard and that there are things that they can do to get themselves out of those times. Regardless of whether or not you're a young athlete or you're a retired athlete, I think it all starts around, first of all, having the conversations, but another layer to that, which, which is quite hard to uh, create um, is to create a safe space and, and to create a community where those conversations like we're having right now are just way more. I mean, you think about going to the gym with your team. You think about going to the, to the hockey turf with your team. The space isn't there to actually say, Hey, I'm struggling. Like, Hey, whatever the issue is, regardless of whether or not like you have the support system of a sports psychologist or a life advisor, sometimes it just, it depends. It's not a one size fits all, but I really see the power in athletes like you and me and so many others who have experienced the benefits of all of these practices that we're talking about um, actually like sharing which is what we're doing right but also to um to to sort of just let people know that they aren't alone and that if you are struggling like here are some things here's the resources here here are the places you can go to get help and here are some things that helped me um and I keep coming back to what I can control and that is my that is my immediate focus because it's easy to think that I'm going to try and fix the world, not fix, but, you know, going to try and help every single athlete out there. And it's just not realistic, but it's also not sustainable for me. Um, mm. And so the more that we can have conversations and lift each other up, um, mm. I think the better. But I really, truly believe that it's not going to start with the government and it's not going to start at that high level. It actually has to start with people who are in the trenches getting muddy and yeah i, I, I really i think that's I, where I re starts. yeah I, I really hope that the governing bodies the institutes of each individual sport so i'm not 100 sure what the institute is called for new zealand hockey but they bring people like yourself in they bring them in and go like what can we learn um we don't have the answer right now there's clearly something going on in in sport um and then that is where each individual governing body can do that. But then maybe even it could be something some, like the Olympics, the IOC brings someone in to really... And I mean, they're probably doing things for sure. I don't know what's going on in all of their, their, their areas. But that bring in these practical ways of, of almost changing the landscape in which sport is conducted throughout it's 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 journey because yes there are differences in each sport but there are so many similarities in just athlete well-being just athletes being athletes that who they are as people doesn't it is so different and what they do can be so different but there are so many 
similarities and experiences that go through. And this podcast, like I've just keep finding these similar pockets that are happening and these similar experiences the only thing that's really changing is the equipment that person's holding or the arena that they're playing in that's just the only thing that is different so yeah i think the more yes we can have these conversations but if the if the organizations can bring those people in and be like right what have you learned what are we missing out on where are our where are our blind spots here uh, yeah. And what do you think is is potentially going to do that? And, and I'm so glad that Dear Olympian post did get that traction it got because it deserves it. And it, it wouldn't have got that traction if the athletes don't feel like that. And it's a, it should be obvious to people that that's a, something that athletes are feeling so similarly across the world, across disciplines. Um, so, yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been great to talk and... <laughs> I better go off and get my dinner. <laughs> yeah, you, for sure. You 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 take care. Just um, just before we we finish up, is there a book? Or I always like asking this question: Is there a book, a documentary, or a person that you have ha- read or watched that you ha- has impacted you as an athlete that you recommend to people? Yeah, I have a massive list. I'm a book nerd. I'm a podcast nerd. I'm a documentary nerd um one that i keep coming back to recently i think i've read it maybe three or four times since i retired and it really helped me get through that retirement phase even though it has nothing to do with sport um is the book untamed by glennon doyle she she just has a way of putting feelings into words and i just admire everything that she's done so much and so she also has a podcast called we can do hard things and she has like this theme song and I just sing it to myself like we can do hard things because that's a mantra for me that is, it helps a lot so I would highly recommend that book I'm definitely going to look that one up Untamed awesome look Brooke this has been such a good conversation I think it's gone up the distance it has because it's one that needs to be had and I'm so glad I got to to meet you um, where where can people find you unequivocally just push what it is that you can push to people um yeah where where can they find you <laughs> yeah sure so you can obviously head on to my social media um at all about balance nz obviously being new zealand um and at brooke neil one is my instagram you can um head to my website if you're a young sportswoman who um, feels like you need a little bit more support in this space that we've been talking about um, head to my website it's brookneil.co.nz so you can find all of the things there all those links will be in the show notes um, we'll put them there so that people can go to them when when they want want to reach out so look Brooke, once again thank you so much for coming on this has been uh, an, an epic conversation and definitely one that has to be had and should be had more often so thank you thanks lewis i really appreciate all the work you're doing too so keep it up and Hopefully you'll we'll collab on something soon, and yeah, the two words of worlds will collide. For sure, definitely. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Raising Your Game podcast with Brooke Neal an awesome episode some really great conversation there and if you've enjoyed it and you want to share it with someone then let them know this show grows and continues to grow through word of mouth of you guys so i thank you so much for doing it also don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform that you are listening on 
and that again helps grow this show. So I thank you so much for your support. You can also reach out on social media at Lewis Hatchet on Instagram. And I love hearing from you guys about how these episodes have impacted you, the things that you're liking and the people that you've enjoyed having on here. Anyway, thank you again for joining and I will see you guys next time.